Hey there, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. So if it's your first time checking out the show, appreciate you coming, checking out, spending some time with us. This podcast is for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with prospects, but hate sending hundreds of cold emails that don't get responses or feeling reluctant to pick up the phone. So if that's you or describes people on a team that you're leading, you're definitely in the right place today. I'm really excited for this episode. We're talking to Karen Kelly. She is the founder of a company called K2 Performance Consulting. And we're going to talk about how to be a world-class sales coach. Let's get to it. So one of the things that I see in a lot of the work that I do, especially with sales leaders, so typically when I engage with a company, I'm training their reps and we're doing a couple sessions per week, couple one hour sessions, and then once per week I'm meeting with the leadership. And the reason for that is I wanna make sure that the sales leaders are reinforcing what I talk to the reps about. And a lot of times companies bring me in because they wanna build a playbook. So it's how do we build more repeatability into our process? And of course, if you've been a sales leader for a while, you know that it starts from the top down. So I wanted to get Karen on here because uh, she does something very similar to what I do. She does sales coaching, training, some consulting. And what I haven't talked about on this show much at all for sales leaders is how to coach. And the reason why I want to talk about this is I think it's really important to understand not only how to deliver coaching, but why you should do it and what coaching actually is and what it is not. It's the number one thing I see missing from the leadership teams that I work with. Oftentimes there's zero coaching and the excuse is, well, I don't have enough time to coach. So in the one-on-ones, they end up doing deal reviews and pipeline reviews. And you talk a lot about the numbers and what the person needs to do, but no coaching on anything skill-related. So if someone's having trouble closing, going back and looking at, well, how can I coach them to be better at discovery? If it's with cold outreach, giving people actual coaching on their cold calls and their cold emails and getting them to think about the why behind all this stuff. So we're going to talk about all of those things. It's going to be an action-packed episode. I, I learned a lot from talking to Karen in this conversation. So we're going to talk about, one, what is coaching? And what's the difference between coaching and training? Two, we're going to talk about how to actually coach. So what that means, and we give some practical examples. And then three, how to get a culture to embrace coaching. So how to get your reps open to you coaching. So I'm super excited for you to listen to this one. Before we get to the episode, I want to tell you about Outbound Squad. So you've heard me talk about it on the podcast. If this is not your first time and if this is your first time listening to it, a lot of what we hear from reps is, hey, I'd like a community of other top performing reps. So when you think about the top one, two, three reps on your team, a lot of them want to be surrounded with other top performers. And if we're kind of giving ourselves a reality check here, most sales teams aren't filled with top performers. It usually follows a bell uh, bell curve, excuse me. And this is why I started Outbound Squad. It's for reps that aren't looking for the next podcast to listen to, the next webinar, anything like that. They're looking for, how do I take what I'm getting from my company and expand on that and get around other reps that are top performers so I can see what the best of the best are doing. So if you have a rep, or if you're listening to this and you're a rep and you crave accountability, you want structure, and most importantly, results over theory. And if you hate hitting plateaus in your sales career, this might be for you. So what we do with Outbound Squad is we provide you with the best coaching, content, and community of top performers to help you land more meetings with your ideal prospects. So we talk about how folks like Ethan 
are crushing their cold calls and setting a meeting from one out of every three calls, how guys like David are sending five cold emails and landing meetings with CEOs in three of those emails. Uh, we're talking about how AEs can prospect while they're selling, so they're setting meetings and still doing the discovery and demo, but taking some of their own sales pipeline in their own hands. So if you're listening to this in your rep, that sounds intriguing, send me an email, jason at blissfulprospecting.co. Just put squad in the subject line and I'll hook you up with some more info. And if you're a sales leader listening to this and you might have a rep or two on your team that you think could really use this type of environment to get to the next level and get better results for, for your org, send me an email, jason at blissfulprospecting.co. Put squad in the subject line. Happy to help you out. This is a paid program. It's application only and it's not for rookie sales reps. So it's for people that have been doing this for a while that you want to surround your, either yourself or someone on your team with other high performers. Send me an email, jason at blissfulprospecting.co. Put squad in the subject line. Let's get to the interview with Karen. So uh, I always like to ask just kind of a funny icebreaker question before we get started. But uh, what was your favorite childhood breakfast? Oh, I had so many. I remember Weetabix. I don't know if it was my favorite, but I remember eating Weetabix. Weetabix? Is that a Canadian thing? or? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We, uh, my family's Irish background, so it might be an, I don't know. Okay. Weetab- Let's just say Weetabix. What is it? <laughs> it's like two shredded wheat, kind of. And it's like, they're like oval, flat oval. I don't know. And they get really soggy with milk. So you'd have to put sugar on them. Like they probably not favorite. It's just <laughs> kind of what came to mind. And then we would get the little mini ones at Christmas time, you know, the little individual packs of the sugary ones. So we were all excited for that because it was just a, probably a break from the Weetabix. That's funny. It sounds a lot like frosted mini wheats. I used to eat that a lot as a kid. It they basically, it comes with the sugar on it, you know? So minus the sugar and flatten it out. Yeah, that's kind, kind of what it is. So now that we have that context about you, Karen, I'm curious. I mean, you have a lot of experience doing a lot of different types of sales roles. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about coaching today. How did you learn how to coach? Because that's such an entirely different skill set. I mean, there's a lot of parallels, of course, to selling. But where did you learn how to how to coach? How did you build your coaching chops? Okay, well, I'll tell you, spending 20 years in corporate and not really getting any coaching made me self-develop, you know, and made me really yearn for it. Because when someone gave me the answer, I was less motivated to act upon it because I'm like, well, that's what you would do. But what would I do? So I really felt a void is, you know, like you've hired me, like, do you not want to know what I think or how I would tackle this problem? So as I grew through the ranks, I would start coaching and mentoring others. And it was just more for practice and kind of filling the gap that I didn't get. And just really looking at the result it would get, like stopping someone and saying, Jason, like that, that was really great. How do you think it went? And pause and just really invite them to share. And what I saw was a lot of initial reluctance. And I was like, why is this? And what I realized was it's because nobody ever asked them their opinion. Nobody ever wanted to know what they thought, because I think at the time leaders were so, you know, I was hired in this role and I'm going to tell you what to do. And it's like, well, ask them, they're closest to the customer. They were there and really awaken that self-awareness. So I really started doing it to others in a, you know, just as a mentorship and really seeing the difference it would make to kind of bring people up. These were team members, these were peers, but they all were like sponges and they really valued it. And I also realized when I'm coaching others, you're ultimately coaching yourself because the awareness and the ahas are coming out as well. 
And around three years ago, I went and got certified as an executive coach. And I just love helping people break through and see things that they may not have otherwise seen. Like what's so obvious for me, there's blinders up for them. And it's a challenge to go like, what are those blinders? And it's typically not what's what you think they are or what they even think they are. You know, and I, I have a coach as well. So I just think it's imperative to get that other person's perspective and kind of just ask you the question to really examine and hold space for yourself and say, like, what's actually going on here? And a true coach is, is going to help you break through those and create that self-awareness to get a, you know, a, a 360 view of what actually is going on. By the way, I totally just 100% around the most satisfaction I get in my job is when I have a coaching call and that person does something that we talked about doing and they get a win. I just like, it gives me like goosebumps every time, you know, it's the best feeling. You mentioned self-awareness though. Where do you think the, the approach of as a sales manager or sales leader, my job is to just tell my reps what to do. Where do you think that that came from? Is that like a generational thing? Is it, is it how they were led? I mean, why do, why do people do that is, I guess, my question. Why, what do you think in your experience? Yeah, I think a few things. I think it is a generational in that, well, this is the way I, you know, was taught and therefore it must be the right way, right? But I also think what typically happens is they promote, you know, the, the top sales rep into leadership or to management. And the skill set that got them to the top performer was through product. And now they're trying to draw, drive results through people. And it's a completely different skill set. So all they know, especially if they're coaching somebody who's selling the same product they did, it's like, Jason, now you got a call on, you know, the director of purchasing. When they do this, do this. And it's like, okay, I know you've done this in your sleep, but like you're, you're disempowering me. So I think it's twofold. I think it's just to summarize what all I know, that's the way I was delivered or, or was taught. So therefore I'm going to continue that pattern, but also, you know, lack of training, lack of coaching from upper management to say, Jason was a great sales rep, but like he's got to lead people now. It's completely different skills. Like he has to understand his why he has to be empathetic. He has to truly connect with his team on an individual level. And that's the big piece that's missing. Cause if you want to drive results, know who your team is, know what's important to them and actually care, like really care, not just say I care. Yeah. I'm curious what you see in the organizations that you work with, but most of my clients, I'm having trouble thinking of any formal training that they put their managers through. They get zero, the managers get zero coaching from leadership on how to be a manager. Is that pretty similar to what you see in nothing against our clients, obviously, but that's why they brought us in. Yeah. <laughs> but is, do you see something kind of similar like that where there really isn't any training or coaching in place for the sales managers? There's none. And so when you say, why are you not coaching your team? It just doesn't happen. And, and I think the biggest misconception is they blame it on time, but it starts with a culture. Like you have to define a, a create a coaching culture and really that continuous development and belief in your people and, you know, that's a top-down initiative, but then you have to give them the tools. Otherwise, it's just going to be do this, do this. And that's not coaching. Even providing training for them, that's not coaching. So it's a completely different skill set. And there's so many studies, especially in the last six months that's coming out from Gartner, from McKinsey, about the importance of coaching. And the results are there. 
it's not like there's a direct correlation between coaching and results and performance and culture. So yeah, I, I see that people aren't do that's why they bring me in, but it's like, I always try to, you know, I, I'm a strategic partner. I want to train the trainer, like coach the coach. This is your job. This is your job. You have to develop your people. So I can kind of give you the skill set, but eventually I need to pass it back to you for the long term. Yeah. So I think it might be kind of good to actually define what coaching is because you said training is not coaching. So let's talk about the differences because a lot of people will think that they're doing coaching when they're actually not. And then we can, we can handle the, uh, I don't have time to coach thing as well, but what, what's the difference between training and coaching? Okay. So great question. So for me as a sales trainer, you know, I have to share content. I have to develop knowledge and skills and I'm, I'm usually teaching them something new you know, it's an impartment of knowledge and then they're going to apply the learning, they're going to have feedback, they're going to try it on. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a new skill that they're acquiring or honing. But as a coach, I'm going to connect with the individual. I'm going to understand, you know, how this, how they would use this in their particular territory. And even, you know, if I detect any apprehension, like really understand the person behind all this, like why, why would you take this on or why wouldn't you take it on? So you're really understanding, helping them to create that awareness as to where do I even need to apply this? How do I apply this? So it's more in the reinforcing to really help them ignite the self-awareness. Do you feel like coaching can be done as a group as well, or does it have to be done individually or both? So I've done both. And what I find in group coaching is that usually it's the loudest person takes over. And there's a lot of people who are more introverted, who are less likely to, you know, like the public eye that, that don't value or benefit from that environment. So what I find is group coaching, you know, it's people are less willing to share because there's a vulnerability piece there, right? Because coaching is connecting to the individual and maybe they don't want to share their personal goals, some of their, you know, past failures that we can work through and, and learn from. And so I think when it's one-on-one, -on -one, creating a safe space is a lot easier. And I just see the results way higher and quicker in a one-to-one -one environment. Got it. So difference between training and coaching, and I 100% agree, is the training, we're teaching something new, usually in a group, and I'm going to run you through this new product thing, how to use this new piece of software, uh, a technique that we might use around cold calling, whatever it might be. And the coaching is how do we apply this training to my own individual context? So I'm going to reinforce the thing that I taught. Yeah. Yeah. Just try it on and get your own style for it. And I think there's too many times people are throwing this technique and they're saying, repeat this verbatim. And it's like, if you want authenticity like this, some people say, you know, you, I have 33 seconds to, you know, get your attention. Like that is not my style. And so I am not going to connect. It just doesn't feel right for me. I'll do my own thing. So I think it's connecting with the person to under, get them to understand, like, what is my style? Like, try it on. Practice in a safe space that you then can apply it to the client, that it's polished. But I think when the coaching doesn't happen, you get the skill development through training, and then you go right in front of the client. And it's like, it's the first time you've ever practiced it. You can't be practicing on the client. That's your manager's job to role play with you, to try it on and even increase their self-awareness about, wow, Jason is really excelling in this area. Jason, you know, from your continuous development standpoint, have you ever considered, you know, management, like learn about your people and create a more intimate relationship through coaching, understand like what's guiding them, what's, 
what's motivating them. You know, we all want, we all work for more than a paycheck. So like, if I understand that, I know the levers to pull to help support you to get what you want, because what you want might be very different from, you know, someone in their fifties who is looking to exit and retire. So if I'm painting you all with the same brush, I'm not going to get the performance that I need. We have to look, we have to coach to the individual, not to the team. Got it. And I definitely want to dig into some of those why components and the emotional components. But first, before we do that, this, I don't have time to coach. I always wonder, because as a sales manager, I'm just wondering, what are you doing if you're not coaching? I get you're doing deal reviews and things like that. But if a third plus of your time is not spent helping an individual on your team actually implement some of the stuff and like and, and building those relationships with it, what are you doing with the rest of your time is always what I wonder. That's a topic for another time, the productivity element. But the, I don't have time to coach. When you hear managers say that, what are your first kind of thoughts and how do you address that? Great question. You know, initially what I think and what I say are two different things because I know it's an excuse and I know that, you know what, if you look at, well, first of all, it's your job, full stop. It is your job to develop and coach your team. This is how you, this is how you're going to, you're going to meet your number by them meeting their number. How can you help them do that? So I think when they say that we don't have time, I would start by saying, well, look at your calendar. Where can you carve out? Where can you pull back an hour or two every day? Because we all can lean out your schedule to create time for them. And then the bigger picture is, I think it's like change management. How do you get the reps to embrace coaching? And this is the part that, that's always missed in, in my experience when I do coaching call reviews. And there's no starting off. There's no um, initial, why are we doing this in the first place? So if that is not discovered or disclosed initially, there's this feeling of big brother. It's like, you're coming in, you're micromanaging me. Why am I under performance review? What is it? So if you start off with your why, my job as your sales manager, Jason, is to support you and develop you and help you achieve your desired goals, both personally and professionally. In order to do that, we're going to start sitting down weekly for half an hour and we're going to do some coaching calls or some, we're going to go through some coaching. So setting that framework in advance allows you just like your customer to disarm, you're disarming them. You're starting to build trust, but they see the bigger picture. And again, this has to be authentic because people feel, they feel that if you're just telling me that and the authenticity and the sincerity is missing, you're just going through the motions. And I know this is part of your performance objective. So I'm not going to feel it. So I think, you know, you have to be very intentional with your team and let them know why we're doing this, you know, and how it's going to look, walk them through the process. But at the end of the day, once that's carved out, they need to drive it. Like they're the ones that are going to be accountable, but you have to set it up and you have to create that safe space, letting them know that this is your job. And I think just helping sales managers get started is giving them a framework, like teach them you know, give them the tools as well. And chances are they probably were never coached themselves. So they don't know what to do. Yeah. So I want to hit on this embracing coaching piece because this is, I don't know if you hear this, but oftentimes when I bring up the coaching piece with a group of sales managers, what they might say is I don't want to micromanage my team. So it comes from that angle too. So is a part of this, what I'm hearing from you too, is some selling needs to happen when I say selling, I mean selling in a good way, <laughs> right? Some selling with your reps, get them sold on coaching. 
you mentioned the why behind it. Can you elaborate a little bit more on if there isn't really a coaching culture in place and a manager is trying to really get their reps to embody this and get them open to it? What are some practical ways that we can get reps just open to being coached? And what's what's a good way to going about that? I think it's going to be a, an uphill battle if there's not a defined coaching culture. Because, you know, you think about objectives and key results. This coaching culture should fit into one of the corporate initiatives of the upper management. So I think right away, if it's not a layer above what you're trying to do, you have to ask yourself why. That for me is a red flag. Because if I'm a middle layer management, I've probably never been coached myself. So it's like, do I even have buy-in, right? So you have to look at like, it's got to come from that leadership. They create it and then the team owns it. So I think, you know, when you think about Simon Sinek and really understanding your why, what is the purpose? What is the, your legacy you want to leave behind? What is the impact you want to have? And as a sales leader, that should be to develop, to support and to help your team achieve what they want to do. And I think, you know, think about the pandemic and, you know, our why changes all the time. So if we get out of touch as to what keeps us motivated, what keeps us passionate, why are we doing what we do anymore? Like I have a choice every morning when I get up, is this still what I want to do? Because if we're out of touch with that, everything downstream is impacted. So as I'm trying to get buy-in from you, Jason, to coach you and share the why behind it, there's a disconnect there or an incongruency and they feel it. And so they're saying like, I don't feel the trust. I know you're telling me this. So I think it starts with the manager really understanding their intentions. Are they pure? Are they what they were two years ago? You know, maybe now I'm looking for another job or I'm just riding it out because the pay is good. That is not going to move people because they are going to feel that people are, are, we move on emotion. So I think just starting with yourself as a leader and really checking in the self-awareness piece with my why you know, and what is it? And is that going to be transferred to my team? Because if it is, if it's authentic and if it's congruent with the the overall culture, like you're going to move them, they're going to do what what you want to do, but together. And it's going to be this collaboration versus this dictatorship. So I think it starts with the manager really just leaning into what's going on with them first. Yeah. You mentioned this before we hit record and this really echoes the, because you were talking about parenting and I was like, Hey, I don't have a kid. And so I can't relate with you on that part of it. But you know, a lot of parenting from what I understand and just because we're thinking about having kids here soon is it's learned observed behavior, right? So, so part of as a leader, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that if you haven't really centered in on why you're doing what you do and really kind of communicated that, you know, to the people that you work with, they're looking at you and saying, Hey dude, you're you're trying to get me to do this thing and you don't even do it yourself. So why would I do it? When a lot of that learning as a rep is going to be observed by how their manager carries themselves, all that kind of stuff. Am I am I tracking correctly there? You're tracking. And it's model the behavior, you know, and it, it goes from everything. Like think about if you're asking your team to do cold calls and you're not doing them yourself or you're so out of touch with them. Like, how can you expect them to do them? Like, you have to show them what excellence looks like. And if you are, if it's been a long time, show them that there's a willingness there to learn. That vulnerability piece that, you know what? I haven't done this in a while, but let's let's get on the phone together. And like, let them, like, you get instant street cred for that. That it's just like, you know, I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And I think that's what every manager, like think about new managers and I coach new managers just getting in. So one day on Friday, we were a sales rep together and on Monday, I'm your boss. And it's like, how do you get that respect? 
Well, it's like I've proven myself, but now I have to slightly start changing and, you know, become become a little bit different in my management skills. But I have to, you know, start modeling the behavior and setting expectations for the team. And I think that's um, that's there's a big gap there. Do you recommend any permission based kind of elements in the approach to coaching? So, for example, in sales, we talk a lot about asking for permission at the beginning of a cold call, et cetera. I mean, even when I run a training call at the very beginning, I ask everyone, hey, do I have your permission here to like really push you? And when I see or hear you doing something that I know is not is doing you a disservice, can I call you out on it? I get like that consensus. And then I ask them, will you hold me accountable if I say something that feels incongruent with what you believe? And that in the beginning, I, it almost I can see people's faces in the Zoom call. It's like a sense of relief. For them, where it's like, hey, you can call me out. I'm going to push you too. Is there any of that type of thing, Karen, around consensus or permission as a manager, just like being really obvious about like, hey, are you okay with me doing this with you? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I always ask for permission. Is it okay if I give you some feedback? Even on a coaching call that is geared for that, that's the objective. I'd say, Jason, is it okay if I share some feedback with you? Because, and they're most likely going to say yes, but the minute I always say, you know, and this is kind of your upfront contract that, you know, this is what we're going to be doing and I'm going to be sharing feedback and get the permission. But I also invite you to share any feedback you have for me, because I'm also trying to always improve and grow and develop. Like that just shows there's equal playing field there. I'm not coming in here telling you what to do or what my feedback is. I have blindsided too. And if you can share that with me, thank you so much. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I wasn't aware because there's, you know, perception is how do I perceive myself, but how am I perceived by others? And sometimes, you know, it takes someone else to point that out for you. So absolutely gain permission hundred percent. And I think, I think the buy-in's greater then because they know what's coming, even if it's not so that it's set up as a, a coaching call in a, a deal review. Is it okay, Jason, if I provide you, if I share some feedback with you, is that okay? Sure. You're going to listen to it. Right. Cause I've asked for it. I've earned the right. And I'm going to then share it with you. And I think it's, we always say about a sandwich, you want to do plus minus plus that you're not going to start with something that's so negative. Start with a positive. I thought you did a really great job there. I liked your eye contact. I would have liked to see a little bit more pausing, you know, when, when they broke for a thing, maybe, maybe a longer pause, but at the end that, that, you know, the way you asked for next steps and you carved up time for that was very good. You mentioned a word I think that is so important there, feedback. And this is another modeling thing too, where I see people and I catch myself doing, because it takes so much patience, right? To receive feedback from someone that you're giving feedback to is I think one thing that's so important as a sales leader is if you invite people to give you feedback, make sure that you take that feedback. Well, actually take the feedback, even if you disagree with it, you know, it's like, and thank the person, you know, because it's really hard when you think about the power dynamic between a, a rep and a manager, or a rep, and even if there's a layer in between, where it takes a lot of guts for them to give you critical feedback on, hey, the way you deliver that feedback to me, Karen, it, you know, I think you could be a little nicer about it, or whatever the rep says, you know. And if you get defensive with that, you're basically showing them that it's not okay to give you feedback, and they're not going to trust you as much as well. So I just really want to like double click on the feedback thing that you mentioned. It's so important that if you ask for it, you actually take the feedback and you take it well and you thank them for actually having the guts, you know, or whatever to give you the feedback. Yeah. I mean, getting feedback is hard. It's the only way to grow and develop. But as you ask for it, you're just like, you're waiting for the, you know, 
but I think it's great. And I would say sales leaders, rarely do they ask for feedback. And then you have to ask yourself why. And sometimes they don't want to know because they're not prepared to do something about it. They might not have the skill set, the bandwidth to do something about it. But I think a lot of times that they're, they're me focused and it's like, that's not the role of a salesperson. You have to be others focused. So I would say, even if you got you know, an executive 360 where you get feedback from everybody, I mean, if you're talking ELT level, that's fantastic because your blind spots are exposed. You get feedback from people on the, the team around you. That's where change comes about, right? Because you know, self-awareness is the first step that's going to drive change. But I think when sales leaders can ask for it, as you said, completely do something about it, like take it upon yourself and share that with the team. You know what? I want to thank you, Jason, for bringing that to my attention. I was unaware that when I do this, I all, I made you feel that way. So, you know, and just show that vulnerability to the team because so many other people could be feeling the same thing. And I think what it does is it makes you more approachable. It makes you more relatable. And it just shows that you're human. Like at the end of the day, we're all human. Our intentions might've been pure, but the way we delivered it might've been perceived or, or, you know, accepted differently from somebody else. So I think accepting it, And as you said, thanking them because it's a blessing. Like when someone gives me feedback, positive or negative, I'm like, okay, I thank you. And I will never do that again. I didn't know, you know, it didn't seem like a problem to me, but it's the only way that I will do something different is if I know if I don't do something about it, then it's a shame on me. You know, it's like, you told me you don't like that. And I continue to do that. There's no room for that. Love it. So we've talked about what coaching is. We've talked about how to kind of get your people to embrace coaching, which obviously in a short podcast like this, we can only talk about so much. This is what people pay you the big bucks to come in and and help you know spend weeks or months or whatever figuring out. The third thing I want to dig into is you know kind of how to coach. So if we kind of step back, we talked about what coaching is, but in terms of how to coach, and feel free to use whatever kind of practical examples that you want, but how do we coach? What is kind of a framework or way of uh, delivering coaching that we should be thinking about? You've talked a lot about, you know, the word why, which I'm a really big, really big proponent of, but how, how do we coach? How do we deliver good coaching? You know, and this would be, so I have coaching clients, I have executive coaching clients, and I coach corporate teams as well. So I think irrespective of the audience, the framework is going to be the same in that you want it to be consistent. So whatever you're going to do, you're going to schedule a regular interval and I think the reason behind that is the minute you say, Jason, we're going to you know, schedule coaching and you, you kind of get the why behind it. And all of a sudden, you know, it gets pushed, you know, oh, we missed this week or we missed this week. Immediately you become devalued and you're just like, I thought this was important and everything you told me you're going to support me, but it's been pushed and you have a meeting and you just start questioning, like, were you truly invested in me in the first place? So I think setting a consistent schedule, definitely, and, and do everything you can to keep it. So there's that regular interval. Also, it's, you, you know, what's coming. So there's no excuses anymore. And I think once you've carved out, you know, the frequency, then it's, you know, starting with the goals you want to, you want to look for. So Jason, this is what we're going to do. The reason why we're going to do it. What are the top three things you would like to work through? And, you know, why these goals? Like, I think you're going to look at the goals, but more importantly, you're going to look at the motivation behind these goals and what happens if we don't meet these goals and why these goals and why now? And I think, you know, you look at the future, always talk in the future, like Jason, what is this going to mean for you once you achieve these goals in six months? How are you going to feel? How is your going to life, your business, your territory going to be different? So people start connecting with that future state. 
and that's motivating. So I think when doubt kicks in or there might be, you know, a little bit of setbacks, they're still always seeing that prize. Like they're not losing their line of sight. So I think when you get to the goals, you have a bit of a framework. So if it's weekly or biweekly, you're meeting for 30 minutes, you're just going to revisit, like, what have you done to achieve it? And then it comes a review, but really understand, you know, so what happened here? Well, you know, I, I didn't do this. So, and it's just asking questions. So in your opinion, Jason, why do you think that happened? Why do you think you didn't do it? And it's usually not the first one. It's, you know, three to five whys later that you get to the real truth of it. And sometimes they're intentionally holding back. And other times they're not. They actually don't know why. And through digging deeper, that awareness comes and they're like, I didn't even know. You know, when I was a kid, like that really bothered me. Or when I was in high school, my teacher, my math teacher said that I, I sucked, whatever. Like you uncover something bigger and you realize this is fueling this. So your job is to uncover blockages. Obviously, the, the territory and the sales numbers, that's superficial. But like, what's, what's driving that? Or what's preventing you on a deeper level? And I think a lot of people are afraid to go there. And I think where that permission comes is like, we're going to, I'm going to ask you questions because my goal here is to really help you achieve these goals. And then, you know, in order to achieve whatever that personal motivation is always tie it back to that. But in order to do that, you know, we might go deep. Is that okay with you? And right away, you know, it might scare them, but it also might excite them into if they're ready to solve it and the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. They're like, I'm ready to go. You're going to get breakthrough. So with the consistency piece of it, is this something that do you recommend if for a sales manager, let's say, are they incorporating coaching into the one-on-one that they hopefully are already doing on a weekly basis? Are they incorporating it as part of that? Or do you recommend it be separate from kind of, because the one-on-ones, at least with you know the clients that I've worked with, they, they tend to be very number focused where it's like, hey, Karen, you're going to bring your deal pipeline and your uh, sales pipeline numbers in here, and we're going to troubleshoot one deal. And it's not really troubleshooting. It's just like, we're going to go through checklists basically of all the things you're doing right and wrong. And then you're going to walk away with what to do kind of thing. There isn't really any coaching at all in those meetings. Do you recommend the coaching be a part of a one-on-one? Should it be something separate? Is it more ad hoc? Like, is, does there need to be dedicated time? Like, what, what kind of interval do you, do you recommend there in terms of when, when to do it? A few things. So I would say keep it separate from the one-on-ones because, that, and usually when they start as a coaching, it turns into a deal review. And it's like, keep coaching separate because I think if you're trying to get the underlying emotion, the motivation behind it, that's not going to come out in a deal review. You're talking spreadsheet numbers. You want to get to the emotional motivation. What's holding you back? Why, why are you not picking up the phone? Why, why are you not doing this? There's something deeper there that you have to uncover. And when you uncover that, they're going to pick up the phone. I think keep it separate. I think it doesn't always, like I would say, you know, I, I polled leaders before and they said weekly is too frequent. There's a lot of stuff going on also based on the size of your team. So the answer that came back to me was bi-weekly. So every two weeks I would have a coaching session. It doesn't mean that on the spot, I can't do ad hoc coaching. There's always an opportunity to coach, but telling you what to do and asking you what you think you should do are totally different. So I think, you know, after a call or if I'm sitting on a call, how did that go, Jason? It's not part of our bi-weekly coaching call, but it doesn't mean it's an opportunity for me to give you feedback, for you to share your insights as to how you think that went. I need to know if we're on the same page because sometimes people were, that was amazing. And you're like, they kicked us out of the office. Like there was nothing amazing about that. So then, you know, there's a disconnect. 
You know, so I think to answer your question, I would keep it separate from the deal reviews if possible and really connect with the individual. That's where you're going to, they're going to feel connect. They're going to feel supported and valued, but also there's always ad hoc moments for coaching. As long as it's not just telling you what to do, it's inviting uh, you to share what you think you could have done differently or what you did well. Yeah. So you're basically a part of it. What it sounds like is you're going for this person needs to be able to self-diagnose and correct their own behaviors, really, you're trying to create an autonomy, uh, some autonomy for this individual to be able to do some of this stuff themselves and be able to pinpoint and get them thinking in the way that you are without telling them. That's exactly what it is. And I think for repetition, when I do call coaching, a lot of it is we'll watch, you know, a demo and I'll stop, start the tape. And near the end, they're like, oh, I know I can't even watch anymore because they know what to do. They know what to look for. So a lot of times it's my job to tee it up and say, this is what we're looking for. What do you think you could have done differently? And sometimes they're bringing, they bring something completely different that I didn't even think about. So I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. You, you also could have done that. But I think, you know, having that self-awareness piece is, is key. So that second part you said around goals and future state, it's funny because to me, again, that sounds a lot like how you would sell to a prospect, like getting them to think about what it's going to be like to not have this problem and that stuff anymore. Any tips that you have for figuring out and teeing up what people want to accomplish and, and getting them to be open to thinking about bigger possibilities? And I ask that question because, you know, a lot of times what managers will get when they ask this of reps is people don't really think about anything. They say, oh, I just want to make more money. Well, okay, that's not a really big why. Making more money, <laughs> you know, like digging layers deeper into that. Is there any advice that you have around helping people set better goals and to think maybe a little bit bigger than they're used to thinking, anything like that? I think it is just go back to what you said very much like selling, right? So that current state and future state. And sometimes before they see the futures, they have to see themselves in the current state and they have to be aware that it's not working and there's room for improvement. Because if not, this future state is very foggy in their eyes, right? So there has to be that self-awareness piece, that buy-in that, yeah, I do need help. I am open to this. And I'm willing to go through and lean into the discomfort in the knowledge that changes on the other side. So once you get kind of that acknowledgement, that confirmation of what their current state is, that future state painting that picture. And to your example, if someone wants to make more money, I would say, well, like, what is the benefit for you? Or like, why? Like, what does that more money do for you? What allows me to, you know, spend more time with my family? It allows me to maybe work less. So what I'm hearing is by making more money, it gets you freedom. So freedom is what that is, right? So getting to that emotion, getting to the bigger picture, because it's never just, you know, at that first layer, like, what does it mean for you? What will your life look like when you have more money? And then maybe it is some superficial, maybe I want this car, maybe I want that. And how will that make you feel? Well, you know what? It make me feel really empowered because you know what, growing up, you know, I was a middle child and I never felt, you know, worthy or whatever it is. There's, there could be something in there as well that this is highlighting or giving them fulfillment. But I think drawing the material or whatever that outcome is to the emotion is going to also allow them to keep staying the course when times get difficult. Yeah. Do you ever have people tell you after coaching sessions that that felt like a therapy session? It is. It's a form of therapy. Even for me, I'm like, do I lay down here and on a leather couch and, you know, pay you by, well, that's kind of what it is, but absolutely. It's a therapy session. I remember just quick story when I was in corporate. I was writing um, an executive briefing to the CFO and my boss read it. And what was missing, 
this is probably the only time I was coached, but he said, so what, what's important to, you know, the CFO at this time. And it just wasn't enough ROI focus. Like it wasn't geared towards the finances. And I just remembered in that moment, I was like, I came up with that. And so there was, he didn't tell me. So there was an accountability, there's an ownership. And then there was this dopamine hit of like, I feel good. That's what confidence is like giving, working that muscle, but figuring it out on my own. And so after that, I mean, I just, I really looked at briefings differently because I was like, okay, you know, who am I targeting here? What's important to them? And I just think when you do that and invite someone to their feedback and what angle versus telling them that I never forgot that. And I mean, that was over 10 years ago. And I can still share that example because of the way it made me feel. And then what I did after as a result of it, I will always look at a briefing and look at it from the other person's perspective and really just hone in because he knew the answer, but he didn't give me the answer. He made me work for it myself. Uh, And that part, again, takes so much patience, you know, and I think that's the big thing that with as, as a sales manager or sales leader to understand it is that what we're talking about is it's definitely not easy to do. At the end of a long day, when you're doing that last call with a rep or whatever, the harder it is, is try to refrain from just telling them what to do. <laughs> I know it's hard. <laughs> it's honestly, and not to kill the parenting thing, but it's the exact same. It's like, I just want, and I think in sales leaders, what it's too easy. It's so easy to, to tell them. That like you said, at the end of it, they're just like, I'm just going to do it. And it takes so much patience and restraint. But the minute you don't, even for my kids, I'll just be like, it's right there. And I'm like, well, what do you think you should do? And they get this, ah, like, you know, crazy awareness. I could tell them, you know, it's pick it up with your left hand, you know, whatever the answer is. But the, what it does to them, it gives them, it builds confidence in that they're not relying on you for anything. I had a client and she said to me, Karen, my sales team is so, I give them all the bandwidth. They can pull the trigger on anything. They know their discount ratio. They know what they can and cannot share, but they're so reluctant to do that. And I just, I knew the answer, but I said, well, why do you think that is? And she did not know. I said, well, well, you know, why, why, why? And it was because she would always give them the answer. She would always never allow them free thought, free, free speech. So they just, in, in a pinch, they were like, where is she? I can't operate on my own. And so you debilitate your team and you hinder their progress, their growth, their development, their confidence when you do that. And so I just think, pause, be patient, let them figure it out. We are all sitting on the answers. If you just give them the space, tee it up with the right questions, they'll come up with the answers. Yeah. One question that I love to ask when someone... because. A lot of times what will happen in these situations is someone will say, prospect said that they already have a, they're already using XYZ competitor in response to my cold email. What should I say? That's a lot of times what they have. What should I say? And a, a question I always like to ask is, well, what have you tried first off? And what do you think that you should say? And it's super simple as a manager, if you just ask that, well, what do you think that you should do? And then you train your team to ask you questions and it's, hey, when you ask me for something, what I also want to know is what have you tried or what do you consider trying so that you've already thought out what the solution is? Because, yeah, you can turn into that professional firefighter, basically, where you're always putting out fires because your team needs you for everything. Another thing, too, I was just thinking of this that I do a lot is and recommend a lot is if the question that they're asking you is not urgent. Just wait an hour or two to respond to it. 
so that they can just think mm. about it a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> you know? that's a good one. I have a post-it that's not here anymore. I've, I no longer need it, but it just said, what do you think? And the minute for my coaching, I, it's the same thing. I'm like, well, what do you think? And so I would hold it up and I say, use this. When your team asks you, what should I do? What do you think you should do? And pause. They will know. And the reason is their answer might actually be better than yours. So if you're leading with you with theirs, you're not creating a safe space for them to share in the future. They're like, well, he's going to tell me anyway. So what's the point, right? You just start, you create this culture then of just, I'm going to a manager culture. I'm going to manage you. You develop people, you lead people. They don't need managing. And I think you have to allow them the freedom to do that. And, um, you know, that's inviting them. Even when I'm doing a training session, if someone asks me a question, I know the answer. I'm like, what do you guys think? Get the group involved. What about this? And get peer learning, get people, you know, increase their confidence, increase their participation, collaboration. I can tell you, but you guys know the answers. No one's just given you the autonomy to do it, you know, and it, you know, it comes down to ego. I feel good when I tell you the answer you do, but your reps are still going to follow you around like little ducklings that because they're so, they don't know what to do when you're not in the room. Oh, that's such a good one. The ego piece is really big and wanting to have the answer versus allowing other people to come to their own conclusions or allowing their peers to help. You've used the word confidence a couple of times in the last, you know, five or 10 minutes. And I want, that's the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, do you have any advice for how sales managers can coach reps around confidence? And particularly what I mean here is not the rep that's like so like lacks so much confidence that they don't even ask for the sale. I mean, like getting people that are super confident and not afraid to ask for what they want. Do you have any advice for a manager and how they can really kind of participate in a rep's development and learning around just how to be more confident? I think going back to my old model of behavior, like confidence for me is the ability to try something new or, or, or the ability to trust that you can do whatever the task is, whatever the question is with everything you have within you. So if I'm given a test right now and all I have is my brain, I'm confident that I can do it. I don't need Google. So I think, how do you instill that? How do you develop that? And part of that is through coaching, like asking them their opinion, asking for their feedback, asking them to share that they start hearing themselves talk. And when those ideas are taken forward and implemented, you're like, oh my God, that was my idea. Like, I feel great about myself. And you want that continuation to happen so that in time, they don't need to be asked, what do you think, Jace? It's like, you know what my thoughts are here, guys? I think we should do this. All of a sudden I'm leaning in unapologetically and without being asked. And that's what you have to do. It's a muscle. You have to train it. You have to work on it every day. And I think the sales leader can help you by, again, coaching, inviting you to to share what you think, but also just trying new things. Like, And think of that continuum of learning and, and being vulnerable, not being good at it. But through time and through iterations, you get good. That builds confidence. Because you think like a lot of things I talk about now is video. There's such a reluctance to video. And I'm like, think about something else that you really were afraid of doing or were, were doing poorly and look at where you are now. How do you feel? Like you feel so confident. You feel so proud and a strong sense of achievement. You can take that and apply it to what you're doing right now because it's repeatable if you want it to be. Absolutely. It's really kind of meta what we're talking about with confidence <laughs> because it's the confidence comes from you delivering good coaching and if you deliver good coaching a rep feels like they came up with their own answer that's what good coaching is and by me feeling like I come up with my own answers that's reinforcing that hey I actually kind of know what I'm doing <laughs> 
And then to see it work, it's like, oh yeah, I've never really thought about it in that way. That's I, I love that. And then that energy is it's cyclical, right? So as you get that awareness and that confidence, and I have the same feeling, I feel great after a call, but not even after, during, as I see that the, the needle's moving, they're picking up on my energy. I'm so happy that they're seeing this. And it just, it, then that feeds me and then I feed them. And before you know it, like we're just a big, happy, confident bubble. So we're about out of time here. This has been great. We talked about what coaching is, how do we build a culture to embrace coaching that we did, you know, kind of a deep dive into how to actually coach. So I got a lot of takeaways from this. One of the big things that I really liked was this. I love this last piece that we talked about around looking at confidence and like pushing them to come up with their own answer and that being the thing that reinforces it. So that was a really big takeaway for me. But is there anything that you would like to share? Just any sort of last thoughts? And of course, where can people go to connect with you and learn more? You got a podcast that uh, I was just recently a guest on that people should check out. So where can uh, any last thoughts and where can people go to get more of uh, Karen? Last thoughts, I would just say as a leader, if you're not, if you haven't created a coaching culture, start because they want it. Like you're, especially the younger generation, they want to win. And in order to win, they need to be developed. And part of that is through coaching. So give them the skills to be successful. And even if it wasn't, you know, you didn't receive coaching, you can break that cycle and say, look, you know, that was me. That was then let's start fresh. Let's get vulnerable. Let's put our hand up and say, can I get some training? Can I get some understanding of what a good coach looks like so that I can then give that off to my team and set everyone up for a success and create that environment of inclusivity and, um, and growth and development as a team. That's the first thing I would say. The last thing, my, my last imparting message. And um, to answer your other question, to find me, you know, LinkedIn, K2Perform is the name of my company, as well as, as you mentioned, you were a guest on my, my podcast most recently, the, the K2 Sales Podcast. You know, that all those places you can find me. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out and um, and I'll get back to you. Yeah, I would definitely check out. And it'll be linked in the show notes as well. Definitely check out Karen's podcast. You've had a ton of really good guests on there. And the show has been, I mean, you've been cranking out a lot of episodes lately too, <laughs> from, from what it looks like. So definitely check it out. Tons of great content there. Karen, it's great having you on the show. Thanks so much, Jason. Great to be on it. That was a fun one. One of the things that I really got from that conversation was, you know, we talked about building confidence with your reps. And I think this is something you can do as a rep as well, but especially as a sales leader, instilling confidence, it's it's just so important. I mean, 80% of the job is how confident you are in what you're doing. You can get away with using techniques that aren't like by the book or as technically sound as they should be if you have a lot of confidence. And one of the things is making sure that your reps are comfortable with you giving them feedback and that you're comfortable receiving feedback from this, that trust that you build between them. So that's something that I'm going to take away with me and think a lot more about. Appreciate you tuning into the podcast. I have one quick ask before you take off. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love a short, honest review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. So hit subscribe, leave a review, let us know what you think. Would love to continue getting on great guests, Karen. And uh, so we keep them coming for you guys. We'll talk to you later.